0: Welcome to the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast explores the humanitarian response along the U.S.-Mexico border from
1: a Catholic perspective. My name is Louis Hotop. And I'm Brian Strasberger. We're a pair of Jesuit priests missioned to the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas. We're not from the border, but we live here now. This podcast highlights some of the work that the Catholic Church and others are doing to address the needs along the border. The Jesuit Border Podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Let's begin. Vamos! In this bonus episode, we're going to talk about goodbyes. Yeah, living on the border means a lot of people come and go from our lives. Very few migrants actually make the Rio Grande Valley their home, so after spending a few months in northern Mexico, they rarely spend more than a few days on this side of the border before setting off for their destination cities all over the U.S. So let's start by talking about one of our favorite families that we recently had to say goodbye to.
0: Well, we had Paola, Melissa, and Miguelito, and uh, they arrived with their parents uh, to Casa del Migrante in, in, in March. And, uh, and they were such a lovely family, you know, just very playful. And, and Paola volunteered to be a part of our, our, our altar server, so she came and helped with our Mass, and she really learned a lot. And even, you know, I think through that experience, through feeling a connection with us, uh, their mother came up to us and asked about receiving First Communion and baptism.
1: Yeah, it was pretty exciting to see this family that had come from Honduras, and Melissa uh, Paola being the oldest one at 12, Melissa a few years younger, and Miguelito the youngest one at like five years old. He was a little bit of a terror, but a ton of fun as well. Uh, and for them to like have this experience of growth in their faith just by staying in this Catholic shelter that we visited regularly, and I think it started with the altar serving. Paola, I think, just wanted to get involved, and she got super involved during Holy Week because she was there during Holy Week and was, like, the main server. But then for the mom to say, like, you know, one thing I never did when they were kids back in Honduras was give them any of the sacraments like baptism. But she really had this sense of of purpose and, like, God's design that it was, like, this is the moment. Like, this—maybe this is part of our, our journey, even, is— for them to have had this experience encounter here, and for this to be an opportunity for us to baptize them.
0: Yeah, and you know, this is a serious enterprise that we're undertaking. So there, <laughs> there were classes that were offered by She uh She did some cla- crash courses in, uh, That's right. in Christianity, basic Christian uh, catechism. And then, uh, you know, when we got there for the baptism, the kids are all, you know, dressed up in white, and it was this big production. We had music. It was this great celebration, this very, very beautiful moment in the midst of this whole storm that's kind of all around us, just just with the conditions and the situation on the border and still waiting for their appointment and all those things. So it it was a moment of life and light, and it's one of those moments that I go back to is like gosh, what a, what a blessed time, you know, to see these kids, you know, all dressed up in their white and nervous about receiving communion for the first time and everything. It was really a very, very beautiful experience.
1: And super touching that, like, kind of from then on, when Paola and then Melissa also became one of the altar servers, they would, like, smile on their faces, at, at, you know, in the couple weeks after of, like, and I can receive the Eucharist now because at first they had just been kind of getting these priestly blessings. So really a beautiful thing. But, you know, with the passage of time, as I said, you know, we say a lot of goodbyes here in this ministry. And, you know, fortunately, they got their CBP1 appointment, which was great news. It meant they were going to be able to present themselves at a port of entry to enter the United States and seek relief uh, in the country. And so that's a great moment of celebration after they had spent about three months In northern Mexico, uh, along with all the time it took just for them to get there. And so it was with a tremendous amount of joy, we knew that the day was coming when they were going to cross.
0: And it just so happened that they crossed on a day when we were actually trying to make our way as fast as we could from Monterrey, Mexico, where we were staying for a few days, up to Brownsville but we encountered terrible terrible Ugh. traffic on the way back it was just incredible it was like there was one stop that was led by the military and then there was another like federal checkpoint led by migration <laughs> so <laughs> we just couldn't we could not win and so we didn't make it back in time for the for the first communions at San Felipe the church where we work but it we did happen to coincide with this family, with 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 these kids when they crossed after after so much time waiting and we already had this special connection with them. So then
1: Brian started cooking up, well, what's an alternative plan in that moment? Yeah, so it was disappointing to not be able to get back to our parish for that event. But you know, God sometimes offers us new opportunities that we're not even expecting. And you never know, when a family has an appointment with CBP-1, you never know how long they're going to be delayed in immigration. It could be two or three hours. It could be six to eight hours. So... If we would have tried to time this properly, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And Reynosa, the bridge from Reynosa into McAllen, Hidalgo, is over an hour away from our house. So if they gave us the news that they were that they had just gotten out of immigration, I mean, it would take us over an hour normally to get there. Instead, we're getting a message from them crossing, exiting immigration after they'd been there for about six hours, and it is at the exact same time that we've arrived at the bridge. So, of course, we're going to go visit with them. So, of course, we go and pick them up. And so, of course, we take them to McDonald's. Yeah, what's more American than that? What's more American (laughs) than that? We shot off
0: fireworks. We played baseball. We made an apple pie. And then we went to McDonald's.
1: (laughs) The most American things you could do, Uh, which it was a fun thing. You know, the kids were super excited. Uh, You know, while I was trying to figure out what we were going to order, they ran off into the play place with uh, with Louie and it seemed like they were just having a ball. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. It was
0: – I mean – and we've seen this before with some other families that we've crossed with. But, it, I mean, the difference, the difference just from from where we are on the border and the shelter that they're in and the conditions and everything – like to be in, of all places, a McDonald's. <laughs> and it is like this little slice of heaven. You know, there's there's a play place. It's comfortable. You can be yourself. You can run around. I mean, all they were doing was just running up and down inside the play play. I can't even believe those things exist anymore <laughs> with all the fear we have about germs and everything. But, I mean, they're still going at it. I mean, they, they it was ama- it was amazing to watch them just to see how happy they were. When we finally got our food, Melissa, she ate two two hamburgers two cheeseburgers by herself. She went through that
1: whole Happy Meal and then ate the extra burger and then was like stealing fries from her siblings. (laughs) I mean, they loved that they had like free refills for their drinks. I forgot how fun a Happy Meal is for a kid of that age. So the like little plastic toy from Little Mermaid that's Mm -hmm. inside there was like this tremendous source of joy. It's like, this is my toy. I get this toy, and Meg,
0: Miguelito was was just going on and on about ice cream. At one <laughs> point. I mean, it, it, he yeah. saw the sign, you know. There, there's the sign, and of course, it's like McDonald. It, it was really. An exposure to what McDonald's is doing to little kids' brains. True. But <laughs> he was, like, totally focused on that ice cream for the whole time. So Brian graciously got up
1: and and tried to order some ice cream for him. That's right. I tried to be kind of, like, played under, like, I don't know what you're talking about by ice cream. I'm just going to go up there really quickly. And I used a little, like, kiosk. I put it in an order for for some cones. And, gosh, it has just taken forever. And I'm not getting anything. And then I go up, I'm like, I'm still waiting for my ice cream cones, and you've been serving all these other customers. Like, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, our ice cream machine didn't work. Which, if you've ever been to McDonald's recently, you knew where this story was going already. Because <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like 75% of the time, those ice cream <laughs> machines at McDonald's don't work. I want, all I want is an Oreo McFlurry. All I wanted was to give these kids some ice cream cones. But the machine wasn't working, and no one had, had the thought to say, Maybe we should tell this guy who ordered five cones that they're not coming.
0: <laughs> it's no Wendy's, Brian. <laughs> Thank not. you. Thank you. As a
1: longtime employee of Wendy's old fashioned hamburgers, uh, you can see where my allegiances lie. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: so they, I wouldn't say they left disappointed, but they certainly left thinking still about ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but we but no, I mean, every wish, we, no. we were able, I mean, they were able to book bus tickets and they, they finally made it to Tuscaloosa. Alabama, and um, you know, it's hard to say goodbye. it's hard to it's hard to say goodbye after experiences like that, but we know that that's part of the job here. You know, that's that's a constant. That's the one thing you can really depend on is that people aren't going to stay where they are. This is a completely transient community. people moving in and out. We were really blessed in our early days with the plaza, in some ways, because it was such a a stagnant community. Um, we had a strong Catholic community that we were working with, the kitchens that we were working with, Claudia, you know, all those, all those things. That's were stable for what four months, <laughs> but that's as long as it really was, you know. And um, and that's just a, it's a part of the reality here is that people move in and people move out and. Um, and, and the families that we grow close to, uh, move on, but, but there are still ways to stay connected, you know, through through FaceTime and WhatsApp and different ways like that.
1: That's true. And that's always a blessing too, to like stay in touch with people and, and see how people get settled and, and the gratitude they continue to feel for the experiences that they had and shared. It was about a month after this family had made it to their destination in Alabama when I got a FaceTime phone call from them. Uh, on my birthday. And so just wanting to smile and laugh and share and talk and that sort of thing. And, the, and Paola, Melissa, and Miguelito all had a chance to kind of greet me and wanted to, wanted to wish me a happy birthday. So it's always touching to have those moments and to remember that there are still ways to stay in touch. But the truth is, it's not just migrants that we say goodbye to. Sometimes we say goodbye to things that are really difficult to say goodbye to, like Louise' long hair. Yeah, it's gone. I
0: uh, that's yeah I'm I've been carrying that yeah, <laughs> you know? I, know I just needed to let that out so now it's public my <laughs> my long
1: hair is gone it's uh yeah it, Pod, podcast listeners not might not be aware of this yeah it was but, getting uh, long yeah. yeah he started growing it out last year
0: august it was on my to-do list uh, a hasty vow <laughs> that I made was to grow my hair for one year and then I said that out loud to Brian. I said, I'm going to grow my hair for one year. Brian was like, no, no you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did almost. 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 Let the record show. I got As I said,
1: close. you did not make it to a year.
0: But then I went on vacation with my family and my sister and my nephew cut my hair. They gave me a pretty nice haircut.
1: Which it it threw a lot of people off down here because it wasn't uncommon that we were walking into shelters and someone was like, oh, where's that other priest? And, you know, I'd be like, oh, which one? They're like, the one that looks like Jesus because of his long, lus- luscious, long uh, hair. And so now people don't even know who they're looking for. They don't even recognize him anymore. Yeah.
0: But- I had one little kid, I was setting up the altar for a mass and, in one of the shelters, and he came right up to the altar. And sometimes kids come up to the altar, and they play with like the candle, or they play with the cross there, and I just let him do it. So he was like playing with the cross, and then he, he looked right up at me, and he goes, are you the son of God? Eres
1: el hijo de Dios. And I said, you have said so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is blasphemy, I think. But. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what kind of hairstyle Jesus Himself had? I but, know uh,
0: he probably bicked it. You know, <laughs> Jesus never has a bald spot. You know, I think we should bring that out. We should, yeah. Jesus with a comb
1: over. You know, if he's the all people things need, for need all to be people, doing that, Jesus with a comb <laughs> over. Well, I look forward to that icon someday. <laughs>
0: But no, I mean, I, I I have to say, I I did cut my hair because I'm trying to look a little more professional these days. I was um, I was asked if uh, I would actually go and to another assignment, and so these days have been hard days for us, um, just trying to figure that out for what that means for this mission and what that means for our work. And I'm excited, of course, to be to be going on. So I've been asked a mission to uh, Denver, Colorado to work at a a school there. And it's like next week, you know, so I've got to be there. And uh, it's a school that I worked at before. And um, I'm excited to jump back in there. It was a sudden move. There were a couple of shifting pieces within our province and uh, because of those shifting pieces, there ended up being an opening where there's no priest at this school, and so I was asked to fill in. Um, there are some connections with our work. You know, there, it's a, a largely Spanish-speaking community, uh, at least the parents, uh, many of them migrants themselves, or historically from Mexico, or um, things like that, so there's still connections uh, that we have here, but of course, I'm feeling you know, just like, I'm totally, I'm just going to miss everything that we have here, everything that we were able to build. And uh, I'm very grateful for it. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's important to be honest, you know, like it's, it's not easy, but, but I am excited at the same time.
1: That's right. I mean, that's, we can say that about goodbyes. Goodbyes aren't easy, or at least they shouldn't be. If it was easy for you to say goodbye to your time here, I think that would reflect that it maybe wasn't the experience you had hoped it to be, or and, and but i think in this case uh, you'd probably be one of the first to say that it exceeded some of your expectations for it so you know now that you're in the midst of it in the midst of these goodbyes i mean how are you, how are you feeling about being in this place of of goodbye well i there's, there's
0: there's a real sadness you know there's a real sadness in in leaving this there's a real sadness in leaving some really great relationships i mean i think what what we've dedicated ourselves to is how can we engineer a ministry where really principally what we're doing is being present to the people of God and we're doing that through the sacraments we're doing that through donations we're doing that through just like plopping down next to you know a woman sitting on the couch at Casa del Migrante and you know trying to have a conversation with her like that's that's the kind of accompaniment in its purest form that I've really uh, gravitated toward. And I, I feel like I've learned a lot in that. So there is a sense of sadness of like, in some ways it's just so easy <laughs> here <laughs> to, be, to be a minister in the way that I imagine it, you know? And so uh, I, I think there's a little bit of like, part of me that's scared a little of like, okay, now I'm going to be sitting behind a desk and what? Like looking at grades? <laughs> 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 looking at a computer, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's goodness in that ministry too, and plenty of Jesuits do that kind of work. And um, But here it's just kind of given to you, you know? But at the same time, I know that those kind of skills of, of just sort of entering into somebody's life, entering into their pain and, and the difficulties— um, are, are going to help me tremendously, you know, in my own ministry. And, and I feel a sense of, um, you know, always looking out for those people that are at the edge, you know, whether it's here on the border, you know, like the pregnant Haitian women, you know, people, some of them who even can't communicate what they need to basic communication. And yet we found a way to make them feel included you know make them feel seen and and help them in ways that we can. So what what is it what is that in the school that I'm going to? You know, who are those people that that need need somebody to just be present to them in times like this.
1: That's right. And you know, I just want to say that it's it's a testament to your character and your living out of this vocation, the way you're preparing yourself for this new mission and throwing yourself into it because uh this is part of what we're called to and invited to or challenged to in our life as Jesuits is to respond where the need is and to get a call uh from your provincial for a sudden change this was not this was not planned and orchestrated for several months this was a very very recent development and it speaks to your character as a Jesuit and to living that out to to sit with it to struggle with it to not feel like it's what you want and yet to respond to it with generosity and giving the best of yourself. I mean, that's what you brought to this mission to begin with. You didn't. We've laughed about it a lot. You didn't come down here speaking Spanish. You didn't come down here with the uh, the, the Latin American context. You had studied Russian <laughs> and lived abroad in Russia. And despite the fact that we've encountered more Russians mm-hmm. than I ever would have guessed, uh-huh. it's still a much lower number than the Spanish speakers that you have to minister to daily. But just as you've thrown yourself into this, you're now proving once again just the, the 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 closeness you have to your vows and to your trust in Jesus leading you where uh, the Spirit and, in this case, the provincial might call you to go.
0: Yeah, and I I, I think—I mean, it's also—we can talk about how hard it is, and it is hard. I mean, we have to be honest about that. But had I not given of myself in the sense of just just— accepting, you know, that, that through my province, through my provincial, God is trying to tell me something, you know, trying to invite me to an even greater freedom, an even greater sense of my obedience as a Jesuit. I, I mean, I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to, to explore some of these parts of myself that I never—these parts of myself that I never thought was possible— you know, like speaking Spanish, and like <laughs> being thrown into this this situation. And, and I think both of us have been stretched in incredible ways to the point where you feel like you're about to break and then you find out that there's even more room for God to move through you. You know, I, I, I really, really think that this mission for me came from God, came from the Holy Spirit. And I have no reason to think otherwise for this next mission, you know, I have no reason to think otherwise for what lies ahead. I might feel sad, but I do I do have a sense of conviction that, you know, if you make yourself open to God, if you allow God to just kind of do his thing, I think it's it's gonna lead you into into unexpected places where you're challenged. But also where looking back, you can be like, oh, gosh, you know, <laughs> I guess I really did that. You know, it's, yeah. it's not quite Siberia, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty
1: close, pretty close in a lot <laughs> of ways. Certainly the, the margins, the border, and it's true, we have to put our trust in God about what the steps are going forward. And that means for you and your new mission, and that means for this mission here in the Rio Grande Valley. So... We're kind of discerning what this is going to look like for us going forward. And in a particular way, that means what does it look like for us going forward with the podcast? So at this point, we don't have definitive plans. I think there's still uh, a recognition of the good that this podcast does in terms of sharing stories and humanizing the migrant experience and highlighting the work of some amazing people that they're doing uh, along the border. And so there's certainly a, a desire to keep it going but it won't look the same because we're certainly losing Louis and having to discern what it could be like after this point. But I'd like to issue just one little invitation to all our listeners out there as a little bit of a farewell to Louis, maybe even just adding some words of gratitude to it. Why don't you just go to wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a rating, give us a review. We don't have a lot of them. We never really ask for them, but uh, I figured... Like
0: and subscribe. If there's ever...
1: That's right. If there's ever a time to get on there and just say some words of gratitude for, for Louie, uh, wish him well on his new mission. Uh, and so that could be just kind of a posting message board for our listeners to give you an opportunity to give thanks to Louis for the amazing contribution he's made to this podcast, to sharing stories, to keeping it light, but offer, also offering some deep theological reflection along the way, too. So just add a little rating and review to whoever it is that you listen to this podcast.
0: Yeah, I think—and, and you know, like— like competition Brian is really the seedbed of of creativity. So <laughs> you're getting to the heart of it. I'm I'm thinking that uh, you know perhaps uh, the Jesuit Denver podcast could become a thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so subscribe to the Jesuit Border podcast or the Jesuit Denver, Denver podcast, podcast. <laughs> hosted
0: by yours truly.
1: <laughs> we'll see who gets more downloads in the first year. That's right. We'll see. <laughs> Loser has to shave their head, I guess. That's right. Well, you're almost there. <laughs> okay. <Never>. okay.
0: <laughs> no, but uh, but really, no. I mean, there is something, and we talked about this with uh, Laura Pena when she was on here, but there is something very amazing about what you can do with a podcast, you know, and, and the stories you can tell, the people you can invite on. And I think we've formed a, a great team in so many ways. And... um and, and I, think, I think that this podcast is so important that I hope it does find uh, a way to continue even after I'm gone. If I have to
1: call in, maybe I'll call in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe our opening uh, opening episode, of the new season, we'll be interviewing Louis Hotop from Denver, Colorado. Yeah,
0: of the Jesuit Denver podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always tough to say goodbyes, and uh, we know that in our migrant ministry, but also in our Jesuit life in whatever life you find yourself in, goodbyes are just a part of life. And so we pray for God's grace to help get us through that. And we pray for you, Louis, as you go forth from here. We know you'll do great work. And uh, hopefully we can say, uh, welcome you back here on the podcast sometime or down in the Rio Grande Valley. And to all our listeners, uh, we'll just say a little goodbye from the two of us. And thank you for always tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's our bonus episode. Thanks for joining us. you know, Brian. just thinking about leaving has me thinking about unexplored opportunities and oh, yeah, and things that maybe we should have done, but really didn't. like some regrets. And one of my gr- regrets is that we've got this soundboard here, oh my goodness. and we really just never utilized the sound like just,
1: oh my goodness, woo.
0: woo. Wow, we should have used that. It well, was kind of fun or, actually.
1: Welcome to the Judgment Border Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some things, Louie, are just bet best left un, unexplored, you know? I don't
0: know. I don't like, know. I think like there's this. I think Oh hey. I okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you know. Just think about it. Maybe for the next iteration of the podcast. Yeah. I appreciate
1: the feedback, the input, the ideas, the brainstorming. This podcast is edited and produced by the (laughs) Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post.
0: Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear more about the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective.
1: We hope to see you next time on the Jesuit Border Podcast. Nos vemos. Woo!